Welcome, and thank you for tuning into the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. Thank you, worship team. That was beautiful. Uh, thank you, church family, for blowing my mind with uh, celebrations. I thought I would have like some high fives and some hugs, and I got a video, I got a plane ride. I've always talked a big talk about wanting to go up in a jet or like do loops and stuff. And as soon as uh, Pastor Oscar said that, I immediately got nervous. It's like, oh, but I'm really excited. Thank you for that. Um, in the video, you saw one of our staff members, uh, Pastor Heather Hule, is in Israel right now. So that's why she was uh, broadcasting from the Dead Sea. And then some of our overseers and long-term, long-term mentors of mine, Rod Loy, was over there in Africa uh, with Scott Hansen, who, who oversees the work in the continent of Africa for the Assemblies of God. That's who they were. <clears throat> and they, they made fun of me for, you know, my outfit on the trip with them years ago. And then uh, Rich Guerra was on there, who's from Southern California. He oversees uh, all the churches in Southern California for the Assemblies of God and is a, a mentor of mine and one of our overseers here. Uh, so just to make sense of some of those. And Pastor Oscar was up in Ohio, I think, in the snow. That was amazing. He got a broadcast from the snow. Um, make sure you get some cookies on the way out. I, I mean, they made napkins that say vintage 1982. Anybody, any other 1982 kids in here? Yeah. All right, too. Thank you. <laughs> no, no cheers. Um, I want to do something else before we get into the message. I would like anyone here who is a veteran who's ever served to stand up and church, just give them a giant hand. We want to honor you today and thank you. Come on. Come on, church. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your service. Thank you for blessing us and keeping us safe and blessing our nation. We're grateful. I also want to highlight one other real quick thing, men's ministry that's kicking off here at Graceland Church called The Brotherhood. I'd love for every man uh, in the house to join me next Sunday at 7 p.m. It's the 20th at Just Love Coffee Cafe in Spring Hill. They're, they're opening it just for us, so we'll be there. I've become friends with the owner there. He's a great guy. And uh, bring some money so you can buy some food. And we're really going to get to know each other. We want to take seriously what Jesus has called us to, and we want to grow together in our faith. And we're going to talk some vision and commitments for the next year, 2023. So if you're a man, young men as well, teenagers, and you'd like to grow in your faith and uh, connect and lock arms with some other men, uh, come join me next week. We're going to lay out the whole year of 2023 uh, to help us grow together and make some commitments. I can't wait for it. We're in this series of the Gospel of John. We're back in it today, chapter 12, starting in verse 1. The title today is True Worship. When I was in my young 20s, I became a worship leader, and I was just newly in love with Jesus and stopped writing punk rock songs and started writing worship songs. Not that there was anything wrong with those punk rock songs. I still love them, but I started writing worship songs. And, uh, and I became a worship leader, a worship pastor, and I would lead bands, and we would do albums and write music, and I loved it, and I still love it to this day. And I learned quickly that we love to comment on what happens during our worship experience as a church. And we're usually talking about the music portion, right? And what's happening while we sing. And people will make statements like, man, worship was awesome today. And there's nothing wrong with that per se. Or sometimes you might not say it to me or to whoever led worship, but you might go home and be like, worship wasn't that great today. You know, maybe they didn't do a song I loved. And, and what we're missing when we talk like that is we're usually more referring to how we got ministered to during worship right? How did it affect us? How did we feel when true worship, the heart of worship, is actually about ministering to God? 
Look what Graham Kendrick says. Worship is first and foremost for his benefit, not ours, though it is marvelous to discover that in giving him pleasure, we ourselves enter into what can become our richest and most wholesome experience in life. So we're gonna look at true worship today. And I am praying for you. I've been praying for you this whole week as I've been working on this message that God would just lead you into greater depths of beautiful, free, incredible worship. And men, by the way, it's one of the things we're gonna lean into together next year is what it means to be men after God's heart. Of course, women's, women as well, but re- regarding that event next week, sometimes men shy away from the call of God on their life. We're meant to be warriors, yes, but we're meant to be worshipers, right? And God would put the worshipers on the front lines of the battle, and we're, we, we are a part of spiritual warfare. So this is high stakes work and part of following Jesus. The context today of the scripture we're looking at is right after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Uh, Lazarus had two sisters, Mary and Martha, and uh, they actually begged Jesus to come to heal their brother when he was sick. He didn't come, and they were very disappointed and upset, and then Jesus came later and raised him from the dead. Incredible public miracle. The religious leaders of the day have now decided they want to kill Jesus because they feel so threatened, and we pick right up in John chapter 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Let's pray. Lord, we just come before you today and we thank you that we've been able to gather with your people and declare your praises. And Lord, we continue to bring our hearts before you right now And we say, give us understanding from your word, Lord. And pray for yourself, church. Open my eyes to see. Open my ears to hear. God, we believe in you. You are our only hope. Help us with all the mess of reality that we're dealing with. And teach us your ways. Teach us what it is to be a worshiper. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So it starts off by saying six days before the Passover. So we know because of the whole context of John, that this is the last week of Jesus' life before going to the cross. So the end of his three years of public ministry is over, and it is an intense moment. Don't forget, Jesus is fully God, yes, but he's also fully man. This is an incredibly pressure-filled moment in the life of Jesus. And it says that he came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom, he, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. This was a very public miracle. Lots of people were talking about it. That's why the chief priests are now gunning for Lazarus too. They don't only want to kill Jesus, they want to kill Lazarus. So Jesus comes back into that area. And it says in verse two, here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. 
I love thinking about that. Imagine being able to be physically present at a dinner like that, where Jesus is showing up after literally raising someone from the dead to hang out with some of his friends and be honored at this dinner. I would love to be in that room. And as I thought about it, it's really not that different than what we're doing when we gather as the church, whether it's here on Sundays or in our homes or whatever's going on. Jesus is not physically present with us in this sense, but he is through his body. That's why we're called the body of Christ. It's really amazing when you think about it. We are here gathered around the person of Jesus Christ to honor him and celebrate what he has done. How many of you would be with me and say, I wouldn't be here or alive if it wasn't for Jesus. He's done miracles in our lives. Here we are gathered around at this event in his honor. It's incredible to remember that and take it very soberly and seriously and with reverence and with celebration. It says that Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Kind of funny if you look at just that verse. Martha's taking care of everything. Lazarus is chilling out, reclining. How many women in the house would be like, not much has changed like since then? <laughs> Most scholars agree, and I agree with this, that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus each represent something in this story uh, that is an aspect of our faith that we are called to. So Martha here is pictured as having a servant's heart, and we're called to have a servant's heart. There's other times in scripture when Martha is serving, but is actually just angry at everyone else that's not serving, particularly Mary, if you're familiar with that story. In this story, we get no sense of that. It just says that she is serving. Psalms talks about we're called to serve the Lord with gladness. So she represents that servant's heart. Lazarus, even though right there he's just chilling out, which is actually, I'm gonna explain something that I think is a beautiful insight. He represents witness to the power of God. He wouldn't be there if Jesus hadn't raised him back to life. He was literally in the grave. And what's incredible to note about that is his life is a witness unto God of no account of his own, just because God did it, just because Jesus raised him to life. That's why his life is a witness. And that's really good news for all of us. We're not out here trying to live like these awesome, perfect lives so people see Jesus in us. We've just been touched by Jesus, changed by Jesus, transformed by Jesus, and we are a witness unto him just because of that. Therefore, we can just recline and be like, yeah, what's up? You know, like Lazarus did. Our lives testify unto God. And then Mary, who we're really gonna look at today, represents the heart of worship. And look what she did. Mary took about a pint of pure nard, which was an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. We see later in the text that this perfume at this amount was worth about a year's wages. So average in America is around $40,000. So let's just say it's a $40,000 bottle of perfume called nard. <laughs> Can you just imagine the commercial of like some model that's saying nard really weird and being like $40,000, here you go. And she takes the entire thing and pours it on the feet of Jesus. So this is an act of costly worship. And notice what it says, the fragrance fills the entire room. That's what worship does. When we worship God, especially when we let our voice reflect that worship and we make sounds in his honor, it actually changes the atmosphere of entire rooms. Have you guys ever noticed that? I really think, and not to, not to get too weird, but I like to geek out on this sometimes. 
Psychologists, uh, not psychologists, um, physicists will talk about string theory. And I, I'll, every once in a while I mention this. String theory says that this podium is a podium because the smallest molecules in it are vibrating at the perfect pitch, if you will, to create this podium. And the same by is true of everything that's in us and everything that makes up this chair or this carpet. So it kinda, it's this theory that everything is what it is because of sound and vibration. And if you think about it, God spoke all things into existence, right? He spoke it out and it was formed. And I'm not you know, saying string theory is part of the gospel, but I am saying when we worship and when we speak out the praises of God and when we let that heart posture pour forth, it actually changes the vibration of the world around us. Have you noticed that? It changes your house. It cha- I mean, if you're in the middle of an argument with someone and all of, a sudden, all of a sudden you're like, hold on, I need to just worship for a while. Trust me, it's gonna change the argument. Probably because you're gonna change. You should be amening me right now. This is true. If you're riddled with anxiety about something and you're totally fearful, and you're like, wait, pause on that. Let me just fall on my face and worship God and speak out the praises of God. It affects you. It changes your actual heart and mind. It's incredible. And then there's something about the context of this that has really encouraged me this week uh, that I really wanna spend the bulk of the message on. But we need to look at the context of what's happening in Mary's life. And if you go back just the chapter before this, we know that Mary had begged Jesus to come when Lazarus, Lazarus was on his deathbed, her brother. So this is Mary and Martha crying out to God, please show up and do a miracle. My brother's about to die. Desperate situation. And Jesus does not show up. Lazarus dies. And scripture talks about Mary and Martha are both quoted as saying to Jesus, if only you had been here, my brother would not be dead. That's the context of what's happening in Mary's heart and mind. So though in scripture, she's remembered appropriately as being at Jesus' feet and commended for it, she also, in this moment, questioned her trust in Jesus. And she wept over her brother. And she was possibly, I would say probably, even disappointed or angry with Jesus. That's what Mary's coming out of. Then Jesus shows up and performs an unexpected, utterly shocking miracle. After days of Lazarus being dead, Jesus calls him forth back to life. And so this worship is her response to all of that together. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but this is how I think of it. And this is number one in your notes. When we encounter Jesus, we see our sin, his mercy, and his glory, all three of these things together in one singular moment. And all we can do is worship. It's like a flash of clarity, right? It's like a flash of the confusion of all of life coming into perfect focus for a moment. And we see our sin. We see how we basically would almost spit on God at times and be like, I don't trust you anymore. I'm angry at you. And we run and we, we do things that are symptoms of that. It's called sin. But in the same moment, we're now with him and he's forgiving us. He's pouring his mercy on us. And at the same time, his glory is showing up. He's pouring his grace on us and he's doing miracles in our life and showing us clarity across all of it in a split second. And the only adequate response is falling on our face in worship. That's all we can do. This is the only, it's the overflow of a heart before the Lord. And I think she's modeling for something for us here that is really incredible. And we're going to look at a few other pieces of scripture. But number two is this, worship is surrender. 
joyfully releasing all we have at great cost. And if you look at Mary, she's releasing all she has, including her failure, including her own shortcomings. She's placing all her hope, her trust, her breath, her life, her treasures, her future at his feet. She is, yes, pouring out the expensive perfume, but she's actually pouring out the infinitely more precious life, her whole self. Worship is repentance. Worship is gratitude. Worship is surrender. I like how this author says it. By lifting our hands, we symbolically receive everything God is doing in our lives. And I actually would add something. By lifting our hands, we symbolically surrender everything and receive everything in the same moment. This is the counterintuitive reality of following God. Jesus actually says, if you try to save your life, you'll lose it. If you lose it for me, you will find it. Incredible. Two case studies. Just a few days after this, Jesus himself ends up in the Garden of Gethsemane before going to the cross, knowing what is about to happen and wrestling with God and saying, if there is any other way for this to happen, please do that, God. But almost in the same breath, he says, but not as I will, as you will. Worship is surrender. In fact, the very first time worship is ever mentioned in scripture is in the book of Genesis chapter 22. And it's when God had told Abraham something really preposterous. You see, Abraham had been promised that he was gonna be the father of many nations, yet he had no heir for that to happen. His wife was beyond childbearing age. All of a sudden, God does a miracle and gives them Isaac. Child of promise. This is the hope for the future. This is how God is gonna do everything he's promised me he's gonna do. And then God says, I want you to sacrifice Isaac on the altar. I'm thinking, okay, God, first of all, that's murder. Second of all, what are you, crazy? I mean, it's insane. It is preposterous. Yet Abraham, I'm sure, wrestles with God and comes to his decision. I'm gonna obey God. I'm gonna trust him. He's our creator. He's the one who gave Isaac as a miracle. I have to trust him. And scripture says that Abraham took a few of his servants along with Isaac, who was just a boy, to the mountain. And he says to his servant, stay here with the donkey. Me and my son Isaac are gonna go worship on the mountain and then we'll come back to you. That's the first mention of the word worship in all of scripture. And if you study theology, there's something called the rule of first use, which means when the concept or a word is first used in scripture, it bears a bit of extra weight. It helps frame, if you will, part of what that word is meant to be for its entirety. And in that context, worshiping God means surrender to what he is telling him to do. Now, spoiler alert, but if you don't know the story, Um, God shows up right before Abraham sacrifices his son, provides a ram, and he sacrifices the ram. And really, it was a test from God to Abraham about where his allegiance lies, what his hope is in, and what he worships. He worships the living God. Therefore, he trusted God. And if you can imagine, in the middle of this incredible act of worship with Mary and Jesus, here's one of Jesus' disciples. This is a guy who's been with Jesus for three years, who Jesus personally called to follow him. It says, Judas, who was later to betray him, objected. So imagine the beautiful moment, the aroma filling the air. She's probably weeping at Jesus' feet. It is the week that Jesus is going to be betrayed by Judas, by the way. And Judas is sitting there rather than worshiping, he's objecting. And there's a principle here. It's number three in your notes. There will always be people who object 
to your life of worship. And you could put in there for worship, surrender. There will always be people who object to your life before the Lord of worship and surrender. And there's an easy antidote, worship anyway. Worship anyway. I don't have to tell you guys this, but the world around us doesn't understand what in the world we're doing. Anybody picked up on that? They don't understand. They can understand. They're invited to the table and we will invite them. But I have lots of cousins and aunts and uncles that don't know Jesus and they think I'm crazy. They don't understand why my life would be unto the Lord like this. They don't understand my dad's life, my sibling's life. Uh, You know, on my mom's side, we're all ministers. On my dad's side, most of them don't know Jesus and they're incredible people. but, But I will worship anyway, even though they might object to it. I've had friends, I'm still in touch with some of my friends from high school. I had lots of people that we ministered to as we seek to be missionaries in our context in Los Angeles and here that don't understand what we're doing and might even get to the point that they object. But you need to decide in your heart now. And young people, listen to me, because you might feel pressure from people in our culture. Don't, what are you talking about, Jesus? What are you, you're talking about following Jesus with your life? You're gonna feel pressure to not do that, but you need to worship anyway. Follow the voice of God in your life, period. And it's almost one of those pre-decisions you have to make. Make the decision now, this is what my life is gonna be about. I had that in my heart to some degree as a young man, even before I really knew Jesus, just because of my upbringing. I still kinda was connected uh, to the things of God as a pastor's kid and I was around it and people always associated it, me with that even though I wasn't actively following Jesus. So I always had this sense, you know, it's, it's very, very mild uh, persecution, but it is like persecution, right? Making fun of the music maybe that you listen to or, or making fun of decisions you might make, choices to keep yourself pure, choices not to just watch anything that's on TV or listen to anything that's out there. You're gonna get ridiculed by people that object to your worship, but worship anyway. And then he tries to justify why he's objecting. He says, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? Which is, man, what a sneaky little. He's trying to claim like self-righteousness. He's trying to say, I actually am the one who cares here. I'm the one who cares about the mission. What are you doing? I mean, this is a real, I mean, it's politics, really. This is a real indicator of what's happening in his heart. He says, this is worth a year's wages. And then we have insight into what's really going on inside of him. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to steal money from Jesus and his company, the people that he walked around with. Now, I don't think it's a bad question to ask. I, I think there's plenty of people that really do have a heart for the poor that might ask the same question, but from a good place. And just be curious, why would we... Why would we spend all that on there? Couldn't we? And, but you'd be willing to hear from Jesus, but that's not what's going on with Judas. Judas is revealing something that is going on inside of him. Now, I don't, I don't know if you've realized this yet, but when people like publicly object to things a lot, they're saying more about themselves than what they're saying about whatever they're objecting to usually. Any, you guys know what I'm talking about? He's revealing that he has idolatry in his heart, Judas. He cares about the money more than Jesus. He's... He's justifying his own sin, trying to make it sound like he cares about the mission. He's only six days away from turning over Jesus to the Romans for some silver. And then he took his own life. And there's a principle here, number four. And before you put it up, if you can wait one second, Hannah. 
It's important to remember that when people object to us, it's not our job to judge them and figure out what's going on with them. We can just let them have that. It's between them and the Lord. What are we going to do? But what I want to encourage you to do is turn this same principle inward, and here's how you do that. If we're offended by someone else's costly worship of Jesus, we're actually revealing our own idol worship, right? And I use idol worship because it's true. It's, it's usually when something is going on in us. Let's just use money as an example. If, if you are not obeying Jesus with your finances and you're not trusting him with your finances, you're going to be extra critical of what other Christians choose to do with their money. You know what I'm talking about? You might be very, you know, we're going to talk a little later about some of the things we're spending money on here at the church. If you find yourself ultra, ultra critical and judgmental and objecting to what people are doing that you don't know their hearts with their money, take it as a cue to be like, wait, what's going on inside of me? What is happening here? Am, am I really worshiping Jesus here? Or, or am I revealing something that should not be there? Jesus defends her and says, leave her alone. Which how awesome is it for Jesus just to say about you, leave her alone. Leave him alone. I, I mean, that's really what Jesus with the gospel has said to Satan in, on all of our behalf. Leave them alone. They're mine. Isn't that amazing? I mean, just the power of Jesus' words. And Jesus replied, it was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. And, and here's what I think he's getting at here. Judas is basically saying, I object. This could have gone towards the mission of God. It could have gone towards serving the poor, which is the mission of God, the compassion of God. We should care for and serve the poor. It's part of what we are called to do. But he's attempting to look righteous while he's actually in his own sin. Jesus reminds him, hey, Judas, actually the most important thing here is the restoration of this relationship that's happening with me and Mary right now. How can you fault her for engaging in true worship? This is the reason we're doing all this. And I love this quote from Matt Redman, mission exists because worship doesn't. And what he means by that is we have a mission to share the good news with the world, to serve the poor, to take care of people because people don't know Jesus yet and aren't worshiping yet. So the, the end goal is worship. So how can we say that this costly act of worship is in some way hindering the mission, right? And we can sometimes just get it flipped around. And here's the principle. All of life and ministry flows from our worship of Jesus, not the other way around. It's not getting life and ministry figured out so that we will worship Jesus, you know what I'm talking about? That's why worshiping Jesus is not about when things are going great. It's about what we're called to do because we're in love with Jesus. And we want to gaze upon the beauty of his splendor. And that is what informs the rest of our life, period. That's what we're called to. That's why worship is such a, a weapon uh, of warfare in the spiritual realm. Because we start to worship in any given moment and we are forced to reorient our lives around Jesus. And it changes everything. And we must keep coming back to that. I think it's providential for me to get to preach this on my 40th birthday because, you know, ever since God arrested my heart, I know it's, a, it's been about worship. It's about loving and worshiping Jesus. That's, that's the call. And, and I might not be in the position of a worship leader anymore in that sense, but really I am. It might not be with music, but God's just reminding me, Nathan, you, you're, you're a whole life. If you want your next 40 to be any good, just fall on your face and worship me every day and let your whole life flow from that. Done. Guess what? I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how all the Graceland Church stuff is going to go. I got stuff with teenagers. One of them, you know, you guys got that too. And this is all going on and she's amazing. She's shaking her head at me right now. You know what the solution to all of every question we ever have is? Be on our face in worship of God. Worship the Lord. All of life and ministry flows from that, done.
I like how Tommy Walker says it. How quickly we forget what it's all about. We can get so strategic that we worship so our church will grow or our lives will be blessed, not just because he's worthy, but we're doing all this because God is worthy and we wanna worship him. That's why we're here. And if you don't know Jesus yet, I hope you get a glimpse of a picture of God that is so beautiful and compelling that you cannot get rid of it for the rest of your life. And no matter what draws you elsewhere, there's something that draws you back to this love of Jesus that you were created for that you just cannot resist. Jesus is compelling. I feel arrested by the call of Jesus. It's a good thing. Verse nine, here's what happens. Meanwhile, large crowds came around, not just because of Jesus, but because of Lazarus. And they decided, the chief priest, chief priest to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing him. So we see once again, some of the costs. Sometimes it quite literally could cost our life. Probably not many of us in this room are in that situation, but the guy on that video, Scott Hansen, uh, who was sitting there with Rod Loy, those are men that I know well. And Scott Hansen and many hundreds of missionaries that he served with have not only been in threat of their losing their lives, but have lost their lives. And Tim Decker, who we just had here last year, is raising four kids over on the mission field in East Africa in an unreached area. And he tells me every time we talk, Tim does, that he made the decision when he said yes to this call, that if God wants him to be a martyr, he's going to do it. And that the best thing for his kids, regardless of what the outcome is, is for him to be in the middle of God's will for his life. Now, he hasn't been martyred, and he's thankful for that, but he's counted the cost. And it's worship. It's surrender. And... Keep in mind, what Lazarus is representing here is this picture of the witness of what God does, and now his life is being threatened. And the question that we're going to close with is this, are you a worshiper of Jesus? Do you want to be a worshiper of Jesus? And I want to give you a practical story that happened this morning. I was about ready to leave the house. It was about 6 a.m. I had gotten ready. Everyone was still sleeping, but about to get up. I come in before them. And right before I walked out of my bedroom, I sneezed twice. And, well, let me just say, any, any like serial sneezers out there like me? Every once in a while, I'll sneeze like 17 times in a row. Everybody, anybody with me? Especially when it drops 30 degrees in one day, like those kind of days. It's, your body doesn't know what's going on. But I was really thankful that I sneezed twice because it reminded me to take my allergy pill. And I went back and I took my allergy pill. And I was like, man, I'm really glad I had that symptom of sneezing. So I took this allergy pill because there's other Sundays uh, that I've left. And on my way to church, I'm like, man, I didn't take my allergy pill or like snort the, not snort, but <laughs> use the nose spray. And I get bummed out because I'm like, I didn't take it. Now I'm going to sneeze a lot while I preach or now I'm going to. But today I sneezed before I left, so it reminded me. And I just dawned on me that sneezing is a symptom of a problem going on in my body. It's, it's pushing something out of my body, and it reminds me to treat myself and move towards health. And it's really interesting. When you think about any problem we're facing in life, anybody got problems? Can we all just raise our hand and look at each other? Look around. We all have problems. Any issue you're facing right now, every single one, every question, every challenge, whatever you're upset about, whatever you're worried about, is a symptom like a sneeze. They are symptoms of something that are going on that, that God wants you to pay attention to. Now, your response might not be right, but we can actually, rather than being bummed out about all these symptoms and just being you know, discouraged that maybe we haven't grown more yet, we can take these symptoms, like a sneeze, as a reminder to pursue health and take that allergy pill, which what I want to submit to you is that the way you pursue health in the middle of dealing with symptoms is worship. You bring your life to the Lord in worship right in the middle of that. 
And I, I joked a little bit about it earlier, but if, if you had the presence to say in the middle of an argument, wait a second, I need to go pray for a minute and just worship. I guarantee you're coming back to that argument different. Whether you're right or wrong, it doesn't matter. It's not the point. You are now a worshiper. If you get terrified by thinking about something uh, that's coming up next year and it's just, it's literally putting fear into your bones, you need to pause and go get on your face and worship the Lord. Declare the praises of God and they begin to change you. It's like taking the allergy pill, right? But it, what's really beautiful about it is it reframes all of those challenges as gifts because they're reminders. It's like, it's like when you, it's the gift of pain. If you didn't feel pain when you cut yourself, you would not know that you were cut and you wouldn't treat it. But when you feel pain, it's a gift because you realize, oh, wait a second, Lord, you're speaking to me through my pain that I need to remember I'm called to be a worshiper. I'm called to bring my life in surrender to you right now. Are you guys tracking with me on this? This can be such a gift. Before I pray this benediction, I wanna take another just couple minutes. You can stay standing. You might think it's a little unusual, but I don't think it is because this is part of our worship. We're not taking an offering today, so don't get worried about that. But I do wanna set the stage for you about something we do each year that's beautiful, that advances the mission we're called to, and it's called our Christmas offering. It's an opportunity for us to bring our best gift to the Lord and advance this mission. And throughout these past few years that we've done this, God has used this incredibly in people's lives and in the life of our church. Four initiatives this year. First, I just wanna celebrate this. Debt reduction is the first. We're all the way down to $50,000 to pay this off. That's amazing. This building and this immediate land right around us is $80,000 less than this time last year. And our goal is to completely pay this off with this offering, that full 50,000. The second thing is our recovery fund. Here's what we believe. The church is meant to be a hospital a place of healing for the sick, the hurting, the addicted, the broken. Jesus said that he came to seek and save that which was lost. One of the primary places we do that here at Graceland Church is through Celebrate Recovery. And so part of this offering is gonna fund the Celebrate Recovery ministry for the next year. The third thing is our Benevolence Fund. We do compassion work in our immediate area, especially as it relates to, relates to those who are underserved in our church family and around our community. This offering every year enables us for the next year to help with tangible things like groceries when people are out of food, gas when people are stuck and can't pay for gas, and counseling when people are in desperate situations and need some professional Christian counseling. We will step in and help them. And there are many in the room that I'm not gonna call out that have benefited from this just this last year. And number four, our expansion design. So we've been meeting with an architect and designing an expansion on this building and master planning all of our 135 acres that God has given us to steward for the good of this city and for God's kingdom. All that costs money and part of this offering is gonna go towards those projects. And we're hopeful that we're gonna be able to show you the first draft on the building expansion this December, which is really exciting. The total goal for this offering is a miracle number for us, $120,000. Last year, we did a $60,000 offering and that was a miracle for us to hit it. And by God's grace, we did. The only way we reach this goal is if our whole church family prayerfully steps up to be a part of giving. We just believe all things are possible and we, we, we put it out not as something we're trying to compel you to do, but as something we are praying together. Lord, this is your church. A couple frequently asked questions, when can I give? We're gonna collect the Christmas offering on December 11th and December 18th, so just about a month from now. And then if you miss those days or can't give at those times, you can give any time between then and January 8th. It'll stay open. 
The way you give is to write Christmas offering on however you're giving, and 100% of that will go toward it. There's a drop-down thing on our online giving menu. You can do it on check, whatever. You'll get tax credit if you give by December 31st, and this last one is important. I always laugh when I share this, but it's meant to be above and beyond your normal giving, <laughs> so don't, don't, if you're a regular giving here and part of our church family, don't just be like, all right, for December, instead of giving what I normally give, I'm just going to give it all the Christmas offering. That will hurt us, not bless us, because we need the normal giving for our general budget. You guys tracking with that? Does that make sense? The Christmas offering is above and beyond, and I thank you in advance uh, for partnering with us, and I thought it was fitting, too, because what Judas is wrestling with here is the idolatry of money. And the reason God calls us to tithe, to bring 10% of the first fruit of what we make and bring it into the house of God, and then to be a part of things like this above and beyond with generosity, is not just to fund his work. It's not like God needs it. God has everything in the world. He could give us whatever, whatever we want tomorrow. It's more for our own discipleship. It's because he wants our heart to be free and in love with him not in love with money and what we think it'll do for us. You tracking with me? So our heart is more that than anything else. We trust that God's gonna provide for us. This is an opportunity for us to say, man, would we like to be a part of things financially that really matter? And my answer to that is yes. I'd, I, I want this to be the, the, by far the biggest give, that gift that I give to anybody this entire year. That's my wife and I's prayer for this. So Lord, we thank you for the truth um, that you guide our steps, that this is your church. I thank you that everyone here today is here for a reason, and I pray your blessing on them today. I pray that they would go as worshipers, God, and would pour their lives upon you like Mary did. I pray that they would go and be a witness, a testimony of what you have done in their life like Lazarus from death to life. And I pray that they would go with a servant's heart like Martha, and I pray that they will serve with gladness, not with bitterness or frustration. And I pray it in your name, Jesus. And I pray, uh, I'm going to pray this benediction over you. And someone just gave me a note. There is a kid's training right upstairs immediately after this service. It's going to start, so head right up there. And let me pray this benediction over you, and we'll be dismissed. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Love you guys very much. Thanks for all the birthday love. Have a great day. Grab some cookies on your way out.